is John Chase, and let's get started paddling the blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Today's episode takes us to Iceland, where we're going to talk with Goodney Paul Victorson about his circumnavigation of the rugged Icelandic coastline. Thank you to a previous Around Iceland guest, Vega Gretarstedich, for connecting us. You can catch her story in episode 38. Now, while Goodney Paul did not go against the current like Vega, he had some pretty harrowing times that you're going to hear about today. In the last three shows, we've been running our anniversary contest with listeners entering to win a $50 gift card from our good friends at Level 6. Well, this is our final one, and the final winner in this program from episode number 56 at Canucopia is John Dagnan. Congratulations, John. We will be in touch. So with that, enjoy today's episode with Goodney Paul Victorson. Hello, Goodney. Thank you for joining us today. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, Goodney, tell us a little bit about your story as a paddler. Yeah, I've been paddling since um, 2011. So I was playing um, football. I think you call it soccer uh, on your end for many years. Um, in, in the later end of my career, I constantly got injured and stuff like that. So I realized that, you know, I, I kind of lost the passion for it as well. So I was looking for something else to pick up and um, do something different. Where I grew up uh, in the Vestrius in Iceland, I always seen the kayaks uh, paddling along the coastline. And, and uh, I think you know, it, there was something there that was really interesting. And so I bought myself a kayak no idea what I was doing, so I just bought the first boat that I <laughs> that I actually uh, was meant to buy, and <clears throat> I realized quite soon that this was something that I really liked doing, and I think it was probably you know the opportunity to have to have some kind of adventure and exploring you know the, those remote places that I think very few people have every chance to see or even get to at some point. So it was something really special very like early on i think in about two or three months i was you know starting to call myself a sea character which you know <laughs> is a really fast one but i also had like i was really fast getting some of the things uh, regarding you know the paddling technique and um, you know it was quite easy for me to progress as a paddler and it helped a lot to have a really good paddling club uh, here in east of Hiddush, where i lived at the time the guys there were really nice, so I probably tried, you know, around 20 different boats in a one week. I was trying to pick someone that uh, I could do different things on. Like, I, I, I always had that in mind uh, to go out hunting on a kayak. That was my, you know, initial thought on kayaking, you know, go fishing and hunting birds and stuff like that. That took probably three or four months to change so after after that time, you know, I thought, well, I want to go explore places and, uh, you know, have some adventure for myself. So what kind of uh, exploration have you done in that 10 years? Well, you know, I, I, when I started kayaking, I, it, it might sound silly, but I decided probably after a year of only paddling, I started to circumnavigate Iceland. So I gave myself uh, time that I wanted to do that. And it was only, I did that in 2013. So I've only been paddling for two years, but I wouldn't recommend for anyone to, you know, paddle for two years and then go probably do one of the most difficult, you know, circumnavigation that you can find out there. But I spent a lot of time. I was paddling, you know, f five times a week, sometimes every day. 
So, and I did a lot of training. I did my BCU four-star training at the time before my trip. That was kind of the stage that I realized, well, I have to, <laughs> I have to do a little bit more <laughs> if I'm going to be, be able to finish the trip. So, but yeah, I was really focused on it and I gave it everything, all of my time and everything, uh, researching and talking to different people and gaining experience, you know, joining trips, uh, joining expeditions, uh, guide trips, anything, anything that I could get on, I was there. I was probably, uh, you know, a little bit annoying uh, for some people, but I was, yeah, I was there. Okay. So tell us a little bit about that preparation process that you went from starting your sea kayak career in 2011 to a circumnavigation of Iceland in 2013. I think for me, it was, um, it was kind of a getting, uh, doing something different, creating something that I can say, well, I've done this uh, and I've done it myself because I've been taking part in group sports uh, since really young age. And it was, uh, you know, group sports are fantastic, but that means you have to rely on someone else uh, in, in the meantime. So I, I, my initial thought was, uh, I want to do something that this is me, you know, all my decisions, I have to make them, and uh, etc. But I had a really close group of paddlers uh, in, in Reykjavik at the time. And one of uh, the guys there, you know, circumnavigated Iceland before me, and he was the first Icelandic person to do so. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, probably the best way to do it is to tell, uh, you know, some group of people that. So there's no way they will let me back down from it. <laughs> <laughs> and I told him that and a few others. And the support that I got from uh, the group that I told this and uh, and my girlfriend, it, it was, yeah, there, there was no way for me to back down from it because if if I would decide not to do it, everyone would say, well, that's your decision, but I think you should do it. And I got a lot of help in training and researching, you know, uh, I, I gave myself a year now uh, to get, you know, get the skills level and, and physical and, uh, and all the research that I needed to do. And I think that was probably the shortest time frame that I, I could do it in. At the time, I didn't have any kids. So it was kind of the uh, perfect opportunity to go for it at the time. So but yeah, like I said before, I wouldn't recommend paddling for two years and take on something uh, at this size uh, without, you know, being sure that you have people around you and, and uh, the resources that you need to be able to get on expedition like that. Well, it's fantastic that you had that resource and you had that network that you could rely on. And uh, it's, you know, it's really, I've heard this many times, and it's one of the best ways to achieve a goal is to verbalize that goal, tell, tell people about that goal. Because as you mentioned, once you tell somebody else about it, they're going to begin holding you accountable to it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I think it's, um, I think most of the people agree on me on this. Uh, the, the Kaya community is a, it's a special one. I, I've traveled a fair bit, you know, paddling and, and uh, doing expedition uh, in Ireland and, and the UK and stuff like that. You know, I've, all the people that I've met all over the places, it's, you know, I say this every time, this is one of the nicest person I ever met, <laughs> you know, uh, there's just something about the community in uh, paddling and, and it's probably in different sports as well. But I think when you tell someone, if you tell people that, uh, especially people that you admire, because I, you know, I admire these people that, you know, go out there and, and follow their hearts and do the stuff that they set their mind to. I. It's something, you know, there's something special to it if you, if you tell that person that you, 
in my head that I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow you in your footstep. I want to do this. And, and they are so supportive. It, it's, I think it's really hard to back down from that. There, there has to be something not working if, you, if you're going to you know, bail on that thoughts. But in my case, uh, you know, everyone was so supportive. And, uh, you know, I, I was having people going with me on trainings and bad brothers and, uh, you know, rough seas and everything. And, and most of them did it because I was going to be in that situation in some, you know, months I had. And I think that just tells the, uh, at least my story about how I managed to get this done, uh, cool. all the training and everything. Well, good people want to see others succeed, and that's a good thing. So. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So how did you make that transition from team sports to individual sports? Well, yeah, I think, you know, I didn't really have a choice. Um, I had to quit because of injury. and uh, But for, for me, it wasn't really a hard thing to go, you know, from the team sport to being on my own and making my own decisions. Um, I think the, the hardest part and what I missed the most in the, you know, I still miss that, is the... Uh, just the people uh, in, in the team sport and the group. And when you sit sitting in that locker room, having those conversations and, and jokes and everything, that's probably what I miss the most about it. Other than that, it's, you know, you just fill something, you, you fill your time with something else if you don't have that. And for me, it was kayaking, you know, taking expeditions and leading people out there and trying to get them the same opportunity as I had when I was starting up. What is it about Iceland that makes it such a wonderful place to paddle, other than the people? Yeah, other than the people, <laughs> I think, I think the um, you know the Iceland uh, Icelandic coastline is uh, it's very dramatic, and you know it's uh, the the Vestfjords is one of the oldest part of Iceland. You know, it's a fourteen million years old of you know rock formations and stuff like that. Uh, we have uh, a lot of fjords here. The thing is, when you're paddling in Iceland, uh, because this is a seasonal thing when you're doing guided trips and, and uh, etc. So we have a very unique weather system here. So we have a saying here in Iceland that if you don't like the weather, you just wait for five minutes. <laughs> and I, I find sometimes that's actually accurate. Uh, if, you wait, you know, if you wait for the five minutes, you will have something different on the other side of the cliffs. Uh, and I've seen this three years uh, when we go out there with groups and everything. You know, the coastline is, 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 of course, unique and everything, but you have unique coastline everywhere. So I, I always say when people ask me what's so unique about Iceland, then I think it's uh, the nature as well, the bird life, uh, the wildlife. We have, um, we have a very uh, rich bird life in the Westfjord, especially in the area that I work on, which is a nature reserve. You probably have more birds there than the whole population of Iceland uh, in just one cliff. So that that tells a little bit. Uh, you know, Iceland is Iceland is a big country, but we we are quite few. So we have probably the world record in everything uh, per capita, <laughs> which is uh, which is always something that we use quite often. Uh, we are best at this, and uh, yeah, per capita, yeah, of course. Uh, we have the most car, yeah, per capita, and. And uh, we could probably say the same about kayaking. We have the you know world record of kayakers in Iceland, yeah, per <laughs> capital. So I mean, uh, and 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 the thing is, when uh, when you paddle in Iceland, you get to see so many different things. Uh, you know, you have the wildlife, you have the coastline, you have the people, 
and then you have the opportunity to be somewhere that there's not very much people there. You know, there's very few people on, on, on those paddling locations there. You know, there are very few companies that work out here. Um, of course, we have very few paddler. So it's very likely to you when you go out to those remote spots, you probably won't see anyone for, you know, a week or two. And I think nowadays that's quite unique and rare. And uh, we should be quite happy with that, you know. The, the world is changing, so, you know, if you cannot get the opportunity to go to remote places where you don't have roads, you don't have, uh, you know, cell signals and stuff like that, I think it's definitely something you, you should do it if you have the opportunity. So is most of the population in Iceland uh, centered in a couple of cities, or is it dispersed around the coast? <laughs> yeah, we actually only have one city, uh, and that's uh, Reykjavik, and that's where most of the people live. Then we have uh, those small towns and, and villages around the country. You know, most of the countryside is uh, farmers and fishing villages. Um, there's not much. Uh, there's not much people live inland in Iceland because it's mostly glaciers and and the and the highland and tundra. Uh, so most of the towns and and the they're down by the coastline and the ocean. So there's. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of fishing villages and, and uh, stuff like that over here. So when you do a paddle in Iceland, you might have to go three, you know, 400 kilometers between towns before you can, you know, fill your stock and everything. So that gives you the opportunity to have a really remote paddling location. So you mentioned the season earlier. Um, what is your general paddling season there? Yeah, I mean, for myself and uh, the clubs that I belong to, um, I mean, that's, you know, all year paddle. We, I mean, I was paddling yesterday in a snowstorm uh, mm. here in, uh, in the Vestrias, but I would say the season for people to come over and paddle would be, you know, from the beginning of May, uh, maybe to the end of September. But the main season would be uh, June, July and August for sure. Uh, that's when we have the most, most people coming in uh, and join us. So it's not that different from uh, from what we generally find here in the, the Midwest of the United States. No, yeah, no, it's the same, really. It's, I mean, it's that's when you can count mostly on the weather. Uh, the weather is most stable at the time. We have uh, we have Greenland uh, on the other side of the ocean, not that far away, and that normally holds up a lot of uh, high pressure or low pressure systems. So that makes it uh, kind of a staple for us to uh, to go out to those places. Um, you know, with no road connections or anything, the only way to get there is by sea or, or you know, or air. You know, so that's, uh, we won't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to be there in the wintertime for sure. What would you want other paddlers to know about Iceland? Probably, you know, everyone says that, uh, you know, this is this is a unique, you know, when you, when you come to Iceland to paddle, there's a, there's a unique experience that you get. For example, we don't have many trees here. So, the scale and everything is, you know, very different to, you know, from what I've been experienced in other places. So when when you're doing a crossing or a similar thing, you won't realize how far it is. So that's something that uh, when I'm, you know, leading groups and and uh, and people out there or giving people information, I always tell them that them first, like the the scale on things here is quite different from probably your experience because you have a lot of trees and stuff like that so we have mountains here and you can you can see it past the fjords and say well that's not that far but that mountain is quite big and it makes it not that far but it might be you know 15 20 miles quite easily but you think it's going to be three four miles 
So that's um, something that I always keep in mind when I'm telling people uh, you need to keep it in, you know, you need to keep the scale in your mind when you're doing this planning and crossings and and because if the weather changes fast and you, you're halfway on, on your way on your crossing, that's going to make your life a little bit more difficult if you have that, you know, headwind picking up and stuff like that. There's another thing here in Vestor that it's mostly in the northern part of Iceland. We have the sea breeze coming in in the mornings. So you can basically use it like a clock, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning, you have the sea breeze picking up. So the benefit that we have here, we have 24 hours of daylight in the summertime. So when we do a paddle, I normally say to my people, like the groups that I'm taking, like, take off your clock. It's not going to do you any good here. We can paddle, you know, two o'clock in, in, in the night if you want. It's going to be exactly the same as two o'clock in the, in the midday. So you, you don't have to use the clock. You, you, you just go when the weather is suitable. And that's something I think people find that exciting, you know, doing the night paddle, but, you know, in, in a full daylight um, and then we have to, I have to say the wildlife is, uh, you know, it's right on a doorstep all the time. You just have to walk from the campsite or, or the camp that you make. You have to walk not far, like in, in the hot stunted nature reserve. It's very likely to you find the Arctic fox with the, with the cubs running around. So, you know, in some places in, in the, you know, in, in hot stunted uh, reserve, you probably feel like they're dogs. Because they're, they're that calm, because they're protected. They're, there's no one able to go there and hunt them. So they're not afraid of humans. They, they might be a little bit skeptic about you, but the, the pups will you know, come up and look at you and say, well, do you have something to eat? Or and We don't feed them, but they're really interesting in people. So I've seen people, you know, uh, people coming to Iceland to take you know, photographs of the Arctic fox, and they haven't, you know, they have been all over the place trying to find for the foxes, but... You know, they have to wait 10 minutes here and, they, and they're chewing the shoes or something. So it's <laughs> it's really, you know, it's it's different. And all the birds, you know, when you're paddling onto the cliffs, uh, the sea cliffs, you have, it's like paddling. And it's if you would be in the lower rings and you would go into this uh, water thing, that's the experience they get when you paddle onto those sea cliffs. And most of the time you can hear yourself because of all the thousands of birds. So it's a very special feeling when you when you are out there and, and and you can feel the power of the nature because you have to play along. You're not you're not in charge. You have to play with it. So I think that's a really very special feeling that you get. Uh, it certainly sounds like a beautiful atmosphere. That's for sure. Yeah, it's an interesting observation about the scale because you're right. Um, in many places that we paddle, you've got relief along the shore from trees and, and other things that kind of help you understand that scale. But if you don't have that, it changes things. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's something that you get used to by time, obviously, uh, and by doing it. But when we are doing those trips or expeditions, you don't need that much to go some, so for something to go wrong. Um, so if you, if you are making a plan, you have to be able to make the plan with that in mind that this is a lot longer distance than it seems like. So you have to make sure that you have some spots on the way that you can stop uh, and etc but the thing is that with the weather and the coastline is very rocky you have you know cliffs and big rocks and everything so there's not you, you don't always have the opportunity to actually stop but that makes it even harder to make the plans and say well i want to get there but you know i have to have the plan b available and that's not always the case i mean 
I have a few examples that I had to, you know, go a much longer way than I wanted because of the, you know, situations or surroundings, uh, you know, coastline and, and etc. So, so I think it's very important to keep in mind that the scale is different from, you know, some other places that you might be familiar with, you know, you might be a local paddle here, but when I go somewhere else, there's always something new. And that's what, you know, that's what exciting is uh, exciting about it. You're talking about wildlife. We talked about bird wildlife. Um, you talked about the Arctic fox. What other uh, marine wildlife do you generally find there? Yeah, so we have a lot of whales, uh, you know, dolphins, humpbacks, uh, minke. Uh, you know, we have, I think it, what you see probably the most is the minke whale here. Uh, we have we have the land seal, like we call it. So that's um, like a harbor seal. We don't have the walrus and, and uh, etc. We get them sometimes. But I think most of the time we have whales and you can, you know, if you're paddling in most of the coastline of Iceland, you, you have a very good chance of seeing whales, you know, even killer whales. And, uh, but I think, you know, humpbacks and minke are probably the commonest. We see them most of the time when we're out there. And it's always a special feeling when you, when, when you see that, when you, you realize how big they're and uh, how special those uh, creatures are. Something you never get tired of. No, absolutely not. I, mean, you, I, was, I think I spent the one day that I was paddling probably for 10 hours um, and I was seeing, I, I'm not sure if it was the same whales or, you know, same pot of dolphins, but I saw them, you know, the whole 10 hours every time. But every time I saw them, it was always, you know, that feeling like, wow, there they are. And then 10 minutes later, exactly the same, you know, for 10 hours. But it's just, you know, breathtaking to to see that and you know when they're feeding and when with the young ones and and you realize how big they are because when you see the pictures and uh, and etc you, you don't realize they're three times your car like <laughs> quite easily yeah so yeah so what misconceptions do you think people have about iceland that you'd want to dispel well i think you know obviously the name iceland you know, in, in some time of the year, it probably is the right name for Iceland. But in the summertime, we have a, we have a beautiful nature. You know, we have a lot of, you know, green mountain hills and flowers and, and everything. Uh, and the good thing is that we don't have mosquitoes here. Uh, we don't have bears. We don't have wolves. So the biggest predator here on land is the Arctic fox. And that's like the size of your puppy. or It's, it's smaller than a Labrador dog. So that's the biggest, um, you know, threat for the wildlife. Uh, I'm not saying it's uh, it it does take its toll on the wildlife for sure. I mean, it takes birds and everything, and it goes to the cliffs and I pick up axe and everything. But when when you're out there, you there's something about it that you're kind of on the top of the food chain most of the time. Uh, so I, you know, for example, if you if you're doing a trip uh, in the U.S. and if you have bears and everything, it is a completely different mindset there. Uh, if you go to Greenland, you have to have, uh, you know, the polar bear watch overnight and uh, stuff like that. You can you can sleep here through the night quite easily. Uh, and I, probably the most common thing is um, you have 24 hours of daylight. So when when you come in here and, and you want to do something, it doesn't have to be kayaking, it has to be anything. You can basically do it, you know, for 27 hours of the, of the time. So you you can you can drive through the night you can you can go fishing you can do everything doesn't matter what the time is 
and I think that's a huge you know benefactor for any outdoor sports that you can have. The only uh, so what I recommend to my people is to take something to you know a hat or something you can put over your eyes and you have the darkness that you used to when you're sleeping. Well, I think you hooked a lot of listeners when you said no mosquitoes. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, we we have you know to cover that we have mitches, uh, but. You know, they're not as bad, uh, but we don't have mosquitoes yet. That's right. And uh, I get that a lot when when I have people coming over and the thing that they ask for, like, uh, is the mosquito bad? Um, well, we don't have them. And you can see the the pure joy in the face. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a proper one. No, it's... Uh, I've heard some bad stories about, you know, kayaks, expeditions in Greenland and stuff. Uh, you know, people almost getting eaten alive by yeah. mosquitoes. But yeah, we 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 don't have them. All but, right. You know, if the world is changing, getting warmer, you never know. Let's skip back a little bit to your uh, circumnavigation in 2013. So tell us a little bit about your route and, uh, and, and the trip itself. Yeah, so my route was, uh, I did it clockwise. I started it in, in the east. So the decision that I made was to start doing the toughest part, which is the south coast of Iceland. And, you know, for people to uh, imagine the Icelandic coastline, it, you, can, you can split in different, uh, like we, I have it in four main parts. We have the south, we have the uh, west, we have the north and the east. And the thing is that, you know, all of those different regions are quite, you know, different from each other. So the south is a lot of sort of, you know, black sand with uh, long days on the water. Uh, probably no way to get in uh, for a break. So you probably have to take a break uh, on water. The south is um, just an open ocean. So, you know, you have your, you know, Faroe Islands, uh, the next island. So it's, you know, quite, quite a lot of uh, power in those waves. Uh, the reason that I decided to start there was because I thought I'm probably the most fit, both you know mentally and physically. So I want to get this over with. My decision was to start quite early, so I planned to start in May. And when I, I think the first real doubt, uh, if you can call it that, hit me on the way to the east. So I was trying driving through a storm. I couldn't even have my kayak on the top of the car because it was blowing like. 25, uh, 30 meters per second that day uh, from the north. So it was offshore wind. And I thought, well, this is really good. That, that's going to make the sea quite flat when I get start on my journey in the south. And I think the, the first beach that I saw was it was probably four and a half, five meter swell coming in from the south direction. <laughs> and I remember sitting in the car with my girlfriend next to me. Uh, and she's just... just she said, are you really going to do this? I mean, this is just ridiculous. I mean, look at it. It's blowing from the other direction. And the swell is, you know, it's, it was picking up. And it was it was the first time that, you know, in the whole year of, you know, planning and, you know, building up momentum towards it, I thought, well, I might be, in, you know, I might be in problem here. Like, <laughs> this is going to, this is not good. So we we uh, reached the east uh, in Hotnafjordur, which was my starting point. And I thought, you know, I have a, I needed about four or five days of really good weather to manage to finish the south coast, and that meant eighty to one hundred kilometers per day. So I knew it was going to be long days, you know, ten, twelve hours in the boat, 
I mean, I, I did some long days in, in the follow-up in the training, but, you know, nothing compared to, you know, 80 or 100 kilometers uh, in training. So I thought, well, I'm going to do a one day. So I'm going to do one long day and see how things are going. If, if I'm feeling good, then I can keep going. So I started up uh, the 30th of April, so day before, you know, because of weather. Uh, and I think I did 64K that day or something. And I was, I didn't feel a thing. I was really, you know, I had a lot of energy. I was, you know, feeling quite, you know, good. And I had to blend, we, it's called Glacier Lagoon. So we have a glacier coming down to the ocean and we have this big lagoon of, of uh, glacier water and, and, you know, ice rocks and stuff like that. And uh, I had to go through a surf to get in there uh, because I was going to put my tent up there. And I realized that this was going to be a, long four or five days uh, if that was going to be the case because in the forecast there was yeah nothing going on but there was still two two and a half meter swell <laughs> coming in from the south so and and that water at that time in iceland is uh, probably six to seven degrees you know that's really cold but you know i finished the south coast in i think it was eight days i got you know weather bound the only incident that i had in the trip was there it was a uh, you know, major one. The Coast Guard helicopter was called out and the rescue units were called out. And to make it in a short story, so I lost my device that I had on my boat. Uh, at that time, it was a spot device. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Sure. Yeah, so I lost it off my boat in a, in a big swell that just, you know, I was, I fucked up myself and I got too close to land. Uh, I was listening to music at the time. But I can hear the, you know, roar of the wave through the music. And, you know, I just thought when I saw the wave coming and I, you know, the first thought that came into mind, just don't get out of your boat. I, I knew it was going to capsize me, but I, because I didn't have my safety line on, um, I don't know why. And I just took off my helmet. I don't know why either. It was just, I think I got sloppy, you know, I, it was always in the end of the South Coast and... You know, I was just sloppy and maybe a little bit cocky that, you know, this was, you know, no problem or something. Um, but it was definitely my mistake. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm happy to own it because I'm still, you know, sitting here telling you about it. But so that that wave picked my boat. So I was, you know, going up the wave and I knew when I was going up it. So I managed to turn up to it. Uh, so it, it flipped me backwards. Uh, so my boat was probably around 100 kilos at the time because I had to have all the water for the south coast but it was the first time in a sea kayak that I actually felt the you know raw power of the ocean and it felt like a long time underwater going around uh, in the white stuff but I managed to you know roll myself back up and I realized that I've, I've lost my pump I've lost basically my GPS my spot device so everything off the deck was gone uh, and I thought well the only thing that I can do is keep on going. Uh, there was no phone connection and the VHF radio, it was not really good at the time there. But yeah, I finished my day. I had a really good day on the water. I broke my steering, so I had to you know, paddle my boat. Uh, Tower 18 at the time with no steering, no problem. At the same time, I had no idea really what was going on back home. But you know, to make it short that I had a friend of mine who paddled Iceland before. His name is Gisli. So he ended up calling the Coast Guard and saying, well, there's something wrong. He's going backwards. 
and he's going really slow and there's definitely something wrong. Uh, that meant that the Coast Guard called out the police on the area and the uh, rescue units. Um, they actually managed to contact me through the cell phone, but the connection was so bad. So the only thing that they heard me saying is uh, I got hit by a big wave and everything is in the in the water. But what I, what I was saying is I got hit by a wave and everything is good, but I lost all my gear to the water. Ah. You know, it's so and then the connection broke and I just went on paddling you know uh, nothing nothing serious you know no injury to me or anything but i was you know i was totally shaken up i was scared at the time I, I can definitely admit that but in the same time somehow the news got hang of it because i was getting a, a news uh, cover because i was raising money as well so my family and friends and everyone they actually heard first about it in the news that there was a missing search for a kayaker in the south and I think it was probably more shock to them to read that there than for me to be out there and paddling and having to deal with it. Uh, and, uh, you know, afterwards I've talked to, you know, my girlfriend and family and everything. And they thought I was dead. You know, like they thought they were looking for me dead in there. So it was, uh, you know, the sh I think the shock came afterwards for them and as well me. But I, I managed to, you know, get on land through the surf uh, and I had the rescue unit waiting in there because they couldn't get their boat out. They had a, like a rip, but the surf was too big. And the first thing that the uh, the police chief said to me, like, y you're crazy. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I explained to him, like, uh, you know, th this was just a misunderstanding and everything. And then the Coast Guard called me and, you know, I had a really good, uh, you know, relationship with them. And uh, they were really supportive of everything. And you know, was sending me weather forecast and everything. And they said, oh, we're just glad you're here and, uh, you know, keep keep doing well. And so I, that gave me a, you know, well, they believe I can do it, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I I think the trip around Iceland was something that, it definitely changed me as a person. And, you know, I, I'm a lot better paddler in the end. Uh, but every, every time that I talk to people about the trip, the thing that stands out the most is the people, you know, everywhere I went, uh, there were people waiting on the beach, like, oh, you're paddling around Iceland, uh, you need to have a shower here, so, you know, hot drink, yeah, you have a meal, and, and I, mean, I, I got invited to hotels, you know, every people's home, and every time that I said, well, how much is this, and, you know, people got, they almost got offended, like, oh, you're not paying anything. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, the people, that's what stands out from the trip and just the experience to be able to uh, do something like that. And they have the opportunity because it's, I was, I was away for three months from work uh, and my employee was really supportive all the time. I, I can tell it now, the, the goal was to take the uh, Freya Hofmeister's record one month. That was the goal. But I can admit that was just a stupid ego talking because <laughs> I, that was never going to happen after two years of paddling. But I mean, if, if you don't have your goals, I think it's very important to have goals when you go on a trips like that. It, it doesn't have to be, you know, breaking records or anything, but the goal should always be to enjoy. I think that's the most, you know, the, the key is to enjoy. You know, if you have the time to do something like that, it's, it's definitely gonna change your view of a lot of things. And I would recommend it for everyone. And, expedition they don't have to be 
you know, three months or, you know, 10 months, you know, there can be a week trip that could be your expedition. Yeah. So I tell people that, you know, you don't have to go very far. Just make it your own. Create something for yourself. Yeah. And find a, find something you're going to enjoy. That's a good, uh, good point. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that particular experience that you mentioned, now, how many days into the trip was that? That was on day seven. Day seven. Okay. So yeah. what, what did you learn from that experience and how did you apply it going forward? Yeah, I was, I was a lot more careful after that. Like I said before, they, it was my mistake. And the thing that I think that helped the most that I, I own up to it immediately. I thought, well, this is my mistake. This it had nothing to do with, the, you know, some freak nature stuff going on. I knew there was sand reefs there because there was a big glacier, you know, river coming down. I think when you have something like that happen, because for me, it was probably as close as, as I ever got to, you know, leave this place. If you take it and you learn from it and you don't do the same mistakes again, that's a good thing. And that's definitely what I did. I mean, I had this, you know, I sat on the beach afterwards and I cried. You know, I I think it was mostly because of the shock that I just realized that this was a, you know, closer call than I would like to be on a day seven. There's always risk when you go out there and do stuff like that. But this was a risk that I hadn't planned for. I, I knew that I could injure, you know, have some injury, you know, back pain or shoulder or anything. But this was like, I was quite young. Uh, I'm still young, though. But I, I was very young. I was, I had a lot of things planned for the future so there, there was like the moment that i thought well you need to be careful that was uh, i said to that like when i left the day after for the next lag i the first thing that i said to myself you need to be more careful so after that i i stopped listening to music <laughs> started listening for the you know surroundings and stuff like that i'm not sure if that would change anything if i wasn't you know listen to the music because uh, I was just in the wrong place, you know, and I, I knew that afterwards. I just got carried away at the, at the moment. Own your mistakes and, and learn from them and don't do it again. Yeah, That's some, probably the best to take from it. Some good learnings that came from that. Yeah, absolutely. So that was day seven. And how long did the trip take in total? Yeah, there was a, <laughs> it was a three-month trip. So this was quite early on. So it was a 90-day progress, but I only had uh, 34 paddling days. So uh, the summer 2013 was the worst, uh, worst weather that we had since 1954. Um, and, you know, I've, I've followed a lot of circumnavigation around Iceland and I've been part of in many of them. And some people got in really bad weather, but I think the, the problem that I had, there was constantly changing wind directions. It was not just blowing, it was coming from north and then the east and the south. And, you know, it was... I felt like it was following me against me all the time. But I think one part of it is uh, because I had that incident in the beginning, I was more careful. So I was not going out in, uh, you know, in sea states that I wasn't comfortable with. If I would do the trip now, it would be completely different. I can, I can tell you that for sure. What would be different? Uh, I think I would do a lot of, you know, more enjoying than I did back then because you know I was thinking about finishing the trip. Uh, that was all that came to mind in the beginning. Uh, I wanted to finish the trip. 
I wanted to break a record, but it was quite, you know, I only had, I was probably 15 days in that I knew there was no way for that to happen. So it was, uh, and, and the trip changed a little bit after that. I, I started to enjoy more, but I, if I would go again today, I would, uh, I would probably paddle in a, you know, tougher weather and everything, but I would enjoy it a lot more when I did back then. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it, but I would enjoy it differently. Explore a little bit more and take more time in certain places. Out of a 90-day trip, 34 of your days paddling, and you had 56 days where you're on land. Sitting in tents and uh, people's homes and uh, and waiting for weather. Yeah. Okay. So how did you plan this trip? Well, um, I probably did the same mistakes a lot of people do. So I planned day-to-day, like where I was going to camp and where I was going to stay. And that was just my... Uh, I wasn't experienced enough to know that's never going to work. Uh, I think it was probably day four that that plan that I initially made was gone out of the window. Uh, and, uh, you know, I learned quite fast that you have to make your plan on the go uh, in trips like that. Um, so instead of sitting in land because I wasn't able to paddle, you know, that exact distance, I, I started to paddle like 10, 15, 20 miles instead of going the 30, 40, 50. So I was getting something into the bank all the time, even even if it was hard, I was I thought, well, if I get something done today, this left tomorrow. Uh, and as soon as I changed that, you know, in my mindset, I started to gain a little bit more. You know, every day, every week, I was seeing a better progress through the weeks. So I I think I only had one week uh, of constant paddling in the whole trip. Then I had to stop because of weather. Hmm. So like one one week of paddling. And I think that was the only time that I felt tired. I was doing about 50, you know, 60, 70 K a day that week. It was the only time that I felt tired in the whole trip, which is kind of strange when you're doing a long expedition, you should be, you know, tired quite often, but I didn't get the chance to do a constant paddle day by day. It was always something that, you know, weather-wise um, or something else that came up. So how did you keep yourself occupied in those other 56 days? Well, I listened to a lot of, uh, you know, uh, music, uh, books and stuff like that. And then just talking to people. I explored a lot of Iceland in the same time, but not by kayak. Yeah. Uh, so I, I got people taking me, you know, to different waterfall caves and stuff like that. Uh, I was really fortunate to have you know, people that I knew around the country saying, well, are you off today? I said, yeah, probably two days. Well, do you want to go there and see how that looks? Yeah, of course. I wasn't bored at any time. There was always something that I found out, you know, even if I was somewhere alone uh, in my tent or some rescue hut or something, I always managed to find something to do, walk around and taking pictures and just exploring because that was the the, the main goal of the trip, to explore and uh, get the adventure that I always dreamed of. Excellent. So you mentioned a couple of times the people and you know, every trip seems to come down to the to the people that you meet along the way and the experience you have along with them. And it's wonderful that you had that experience and were able to meet people along the way and, and have them uh, show you the landscape. Yeah, um, I can tell you one story, short story, but I came I came on a, on a beach uh, in the north after quite a long day and I got, I met, I met a guy standing there with a shotgun on his shoulder and a rifle on the other one. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm not in the right place at the moment. <laughs> I should not be here. And 
but that there was a farmer, so he was protecting his other duck uh, nesting ground uh, from the foxes, um, you know, and, and the birds and everything. And he was so shocked that I came by sea, and he actually told me, like, I think no one has came here probably in 200 years from the sea. And he was so happy. So he invited me to put up my tent, fetch water for me, anything, in the middle of his nesting you know where he was, he was protecting the the uh, either duck, and I heard just afterwards that a guy that I know he knows of this guy and he said, "Well, you're probably the only person to be allowed to be in there because he doesn't allow anyone to actually walk in there." <laughs> so, but he he let me actually put up my tent, you know, drag my boat up and uh, walked with me around and tell told me stories and everything. But you know, I I, I hunt myself, uh, so I you know. I wasn't afraid of the guns, but I thought, well, I'm I'm definitely not welcome here. <laughs> but I I was I probably never felt more welcome at that exactly that spot. And uh, it was just like that tells the story of. Uh, but that's my experience, at least. I'm not sure if everyone has the same experience of people here in Iceland, but uh, but it helped a lot that I was young Icelandic guy trying to do some adventure and. I think every people have some kind of, you know, they can connect with it. I think most of the people, they want to do something uh, adventurous in, in some time of their life. And that guy, he was definitely really interesting in what I was doing and just a yeah, really nice farmer. So what surprised you along the way? I think what surprised me the most was um, uh, how unstable the weather was uh, and how how the mountains can affect uh, the wind. I actually, I just, I've learned a lot over the years after that trip. Um, you can have a weather forecast, uh, you know, for that region, but you have to be quite localized to understand what that means. So, you know, for example, if I got a forecast in the morning, it was saying it's going to be, you know, force two or three for the day. That could be right in some places. When you turn around the corner, it's going to be force five or six because that mountain or that glaciers, they have their own weather system. And I think that was what surprised me the most. I think it gave me a lot of learning opportunities to read the weather, you know, read the clouds, see what's happening on the other side. And the other thing was... um, I learned a lot about myself in the same time. You know, I was alone quite a lot and I'm I'm a people's person. I love to be around people and meeting new people and, and that's, you know, one part of why I do, you know, guided trips and stuff like that. But it, I think it was a really important time for me just because I was young, trying to grow up and being a man. And I just learned a lot about myself in the time that... I, you don't gain anything from being, you know, cocky and uh, with a lot of ego. That's that's never going to help you. Yeah. So, but yeah. The landscape will take care of that quickly. Yeah, absolutely. That's something, uh, yeah, you're true. That's, that's absolutely right. So you mentioned you were raising money. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, in the process of uh, organizing the expedition, I thought, well, it's going to be because it doesn't matter if, you know, in the kayak world, I was absolutely nobody. No one knew me, so I was trying to get equipment, you know, boats and paddles. And and I was really lucky that I got a lot of uh, good companies uh, helping me out on the way. And I got a lot of good people, uh, you know, putting their names in front of my name. Saying, well, you know, he's going to do it. So, you know, if you want to give him, you know, one paddle, you, you probably 
you know, you're going to get your money back on that one. Um, so I decided to raise money for homeless people in Iceland. You know, it's a, it's a bigger problem than people probably know of. So the organization that I choose was uh, helping homeless people and giving them food um, and also had um, a rehab uh, home, you know, for people struggling with that one. Uh, that, you know, it didn't, I didn't have anything really close to me that had the problem, but it was, you know, it was also something that called on me. Like when I see people in that situation, it hurts me because I, I think uh, being here in Iceland, no one should be homeless. No one should be, you know, making that struggle because we are, you know, we're a rich country and, uh, and et cetera. But so I decided to raise money for that organization. And so we did that and I, constantly on the way i never thought of you know that project there was a side project there was a car driving around Iceland at the same time not where i was but he was driving around just saying well this young fella is paddling around uh raising money for that you know homeless people in iceland and everything and i think it was a week um before i finished my expedition i got uh, just someone told me like uh, do you know do you know how much you've raised and i said well i have no idea well, he, I can tell you that. And I said, well, that's fantastic. So I raised uh, 11 million kroners in Iceland. I think that's probably uh, uh, probably $90,000 or something. Wow. Yeah, so I was I was really surprised. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Like, how do people hear about that? Like, how do they, you know, hear about me paddling around Iceland? Uh, I knew that I was in the news sometimes, uh, but not like every day, constant thing. Then I just realized, like, the people that I've met on the way, that that's probably the people that, you know, gave money to the charity and say, well, I met this guy, he's paddling around Iceland, and, yeah, he's doing a good job. So, yeah, let's support the, the thing that he's raising money for. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I was uh, I was really happy with it. it I, I, knew, I know that that money was needed and uh, it went you know buying new mattresses and stuff and food and everything so it's it's a good thing what was the name of the organization uh samhjalp i will i will uh i'll get a link from that for you and yeah 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 we'll add that to the show notes so folks can check that out and uh, make their own donations yeah yeah so. absolutely so you mentioned you were away from work for three months uh, and that's something that I, I don't know if i've talked about that or touched on that with other uh other guests on the show how did you negotiate that? Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I told my boss at the time that uh, I wanted to do a trip around Iceland. And he said, he, he just thought, well, well, good for you. Do you know how long it's going to take? And I said, well, the goal is to you know do it in a month, you know, break the record. So he said, well, you can, you can take your summer holiday and add a few days to that and that's no problem i'll find someone to cover for you and i said well that's great and then he asked when are you leaving and i said well i want to start in may and and he said well it's that's up to you you have your summer holiday you can take it basically any anywhere you want um i think i called him uh <laughs> so he he was following the trip obviously and he knew what was going on <laughs> He, he's not a stupid man, so he thought, well, he's never going to be back at work uh, in a month. <laughs> and I, I remember when I called him up um, and I said, well, uh, I, I have to talk to you. And he said, I know what you're going to say. I <laughs> just finished the trip. 
and don't come back when you, you know, until you finish the trip. And I thought, well, that's amazing. Um, I think the second call was uh, probably after two months that I knew that <laughs> I probably had a month left. And he said the same thing. Just, uh, you know, the company wants you to finish the trip. We are really proud of you. Um, you know, don't come back when you, until you finish the trip. We, you have our support and, you know. So I was just, uh, and I, you know, I worked there for 10 years now at the same, same location. And yeah, that's just, uh, uh, that's the mentality of the company that I work for. You know, they're really proud of, uh, of their staff. And so I was really, yeah, happy and, and grateful for that support that I got from them. And there was, there was no pressure, no matter like anywhere in the process of, you know, well, you need to get to back to work. <laughs> you know, you have a job here. It was never like that. It was always really supportive and say, well, you know, don't come back until you finish the trip. We want you to finish. Uh, so I was, yeah, I was really happy with that. Well, more proof of the goodness of people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, I know, I know the, um, the bosses in the company, they sent the same message because I talked to them after a trip and they were really happy and proud, happy for myself. And it was just not him. There was everyone, everyone involved. So, so um, you mentioned companies supporting you along the way. Who, who supported you along the way for gear? Yeah, I had some Rockpool Tower 18 at the time from Mike, the first boat in Iceland uh, from him. I had Lendl uh, North American Paddles, where I still have a sponsorship from them. And then I have a Coca Tut gear, you know, dry suits and, and stuff like that. Um, I had, you know, all those small company, you know, helping me, you know, outdoor stores in Iceland and stuff like that. I can definitely admit I didn't have any money when I got this idea of doing these big expeditions. And I knew it was going to cost a lot of money, but, you know, I was a very young, uh, just started to work. I didn't have any money. So I thought, and, you know, there was several times that I, myself and my girlfriend talked like, how are we going to afford this if, if you don't get any salary for that time? And, but I thought like there's a, there's a very Icelandic saying, like this will be okay. You know, someone, someone is going to help you with it or something. But there was, um, there were, you know, a few companies that, that I knew someone in or knew the owners. And I talked to them and said, well, that's this is the project. I'm raising money for this organization, and they said, "Well, how much do you need? Like, I want to help you make this work." And it was not a large amount from each company, but it definitely uh, came together in the end. And I managed to buy the dry food that I needed, um, and you know all the stuff that I needed to actually go on the trip. And then when I was on the trip, I didn't think at all of it. My uh, my girlfriend just took care of that and I have no idea how she pulled it off, but she did, <laughs> you know, I always had money if I needed to buy something, but yeah, I didn't spend a lot of money when I was doing it. I tried to, you know, save the money a little bit. Your favorite piece of kit for less than a hundred dollars? Uh, that has to be my Murica pan. I have this, um, pot steel, uh, Murica pan. So Murica is, uh, I'm not sure if you heard of it. It's um, from Finland. Yes. So that that's something that I take with me on every trip uh, or every expedition. Um, it's quite heavy, but it's I can cook anything on it, and I make uh, pancakes. Uh, and I have to say they're quite good, even if I, uh, you know, on my standard. But <laughs> yeah, I think that's um, that's one of the kit that I love the most uh, when I'm doing those trips. 
But something that I always have with me, I'm not sure how much it's uh, cost actually, is the, is the tow line. I always have a tow line with me, um, even if I'm paddling alone, because I can use it for so many other things, uh, you know, drying out stuff, uh, tying boats, tying something. So I would say, yeah, if I can choose those two, I'll definitely say that. All right. You are the second person to mention the uh, the Murica Pan. Oh, really? I think I've introduced it to a lot of people. I know Simon Osborne um, loves his one. Uh, Vega obviously uh, uses it a lot. Yeah, I think it's just a great piece of equipment uh, if you have the <laughs> space in the boat for it. I mean, it's <laughs> it's quite heavy, um, you know, compared to other outdoor pans. But I, I would say you can put it on the fire and everything. You can cook anything on it. So yeah, and I'm 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 not sponsored by them. I have to buy my own pans. <laughs> uh, but it's absolutely brilliant kit to have um, if you're doing you know open fire and stuff like that. Absolutely. Right. And you know it, even in the seawater, it might get rust, but you can always use it. That's a good thing. Good. So if somebody were uh, what what advice would you have for somebody who wants to come to Iceland and paddle? Ah, uh, just you know, do your research, look up some people, local people. If you if you're doing uh, you know trips or expeditions, uh, get some advice. Um, and you know, just be be prepared to wait out a little bit. You know, in the in the tent or something if you're doing a trip up here, and enjoy. I think that's the most important thing. If you, if you come here, if you want to do a trip, just come with that mindset that you're here to enjoy. Uh, the nature and the wildlife uh, and the people. And uh, there, there are a lot of outfitters and guides there. Uh, no, the, the, not not so many. Uh, there are few companies that work in uh, different regions of Iceland, um, and obviously, uh, I know most of them, and they're all really good. So, um, but yeah, I would definitely recommend uh, in certain areas to have a, you know, local help or guide, or anything like that. It's um, yeah, it's just a lot safer. All right, and you're doing some of that guiding as well. Yep, I have a I have a company that runs uh, kayak expeditions and, and trips uh, uh, in Vestfjords of Iceland. Uh, we do a coaching as well. And, and, uh, so I will definitely get links uh, from you there as well, and we'll put that in the show notes so folks can follow up and uh, learn more from from you and possibly see you and take a trip with you. Yeah, absolutely. So, what's the next paddling destination for you? I uh, I always have. Uh, you know, I have one or two always in my mind that I want to do. I I did Ireland in 2017. I still, I had to quit there. I now only have uh, about 200 kilometers left of that circumnavigation. So, you know, I always want to go there and finish the, <laughs> finish the circumnavigation, even though it's a few, latest, a few years later. But I have, uh, my mind is set on Greenland at the moment. Not completely sure what i will do but there there is the idea to do a a big crossing so that you know it's i'm not sure if i will ever get permissions from my fiance to do that but <laughs> that's something that i think yeah, would be really interesting and uh, it would be a, i think like groundbreaking thing in in the kayaking to go from iceland to greenland on a say on a sea kayak without you know sails and and etc that is a big crossing for sure. Yeah, uh, it is, you know, I think it's on the line to be doable uh, without, you know, special made boats and everything. And, but in the right conditions and weather, uh, it's, I think it's doable. 
Well, you realize you've just said that out loud, so now people are yeah. going to hold you accountable to it. Yeah, I've, I've <laughs> said that before. So, but I, I always mention that uh, that's dependent on uh, on my family as well. I think that's uh, that kind of a task that you have to get everyone involved if you want to take that one on. So, it has been in my mind for some time. Yeah. So, how can listeners reach you if they have additional questions or? Yeah, so uh, they can go on my website, seekayakiceland.is, uh, and then I'm on like Instagram and Facebook under uh, either my name, Guðni Páll Lúttarsson, or Seekayak Iceland as well. And uh, they can find your guiding and, and other uh, trip information on seekayakiceland.is as well? Yeah, it's all there. Same as well for the symposium this year. So, well, next year, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So tell us about that symposium. This is your first symposium that you're organizing. Yeah, it's my uh, it's my first one. So um, there is another symposium in Iceland in the uh, in the August time. So I thought uh, to create a little bit more um, you know paddling market and longer season in Iceland. I thought well I will just you know organize one and have it in 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 the beginning of the summer in May. So I've been I you know I had this idea for some time and I thought well. This is a time to do it. I picked a spot in the in the west part of Iceland. It's not in the Vestfjords, but it's um, it's in a small fishing town called Arnastabi, which has the well, probably one of the most unique coastline uh, in all of Iceland. Uh, a lot of uh, you know caves and arches, and you have a surf beach close by, and and then you have a glacier that you can watch all day on the water. It's a pretty unique uh, location as well. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. Yeah. So well, good exactly. luck with that. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, this episode will air in uh, in spring of 2022, and then your uh, symposium will uh, launch just after that in May of 2022. So we, we wish you the best of luck on that. Yeah, thank you, Irvitz. It's going to be very interesting. Good. So one final question that I have for you, and that is who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue? Yeah, I have, you know, give it some thoughts and I think it would be really interesting to hear a little bit from my Norwegian friend, uh, Heidi Grimnes. Uh, she's, uh, she's a Norwegian paddler that I met a few times, uh, really nice person and uh, she's doing a lot, you know, lot of really interesting uh, stuff, winter paddling in Norway, which is quite similar to Iceland and camping and yeah, I think it would be uh, just a really interesting thing to hear. From her, excellent. absolutely. Well, excellent. Well, I will reach out to Heidi, and uh, I'll, I'll connect the, get with you, connect the, <laughs> I will get with you to get the contact information for Heidi, and we'll reach out and uh, work on getting her on the show in a future episode. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Well, good evening, Paul. This has been fantastic. It's been wonderful learning from you and learning about uh, your trip around Iceland and learning about Iceland in general and the people and all the experience that you had. Um, I wish you the absolute best on your future paddling as well as your upcoming symposium. And uh, maybe some of our listeners will connect with you and get a chance to paddle in Iceland as well. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, thank you very much uh, and uh, take care. And hopefully we'll meet one day. I look forward to that. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, power to the paddle, 
is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or white water, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. Well, that's a pretty bold goal to set after only two years of paddling. It really shows when you set your mind to doing something and you work hard to develop the skills needed, you can accomplish a lot. Interesting how he went into the experience with the plan to break the speed record and came out with such a different experience and learned that sometimes it's better to just enjoy the time out there and have fun with it. And as if you didn't have enough reason to go to Iceland, no mosquitoes. Check out the show notes for this episode by visiting www.paddlingtheblue.com where you'll find links to Good Nepal's guiding service and more. Our next show will feature legendary paddler Nigel Foster. And Nigel's going to talk with us about his epic adventure paddling Baffin Island through the Hudson Strait toward the Labrador coast. It's a trip that took 23 years to complete, so don't miss this one. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.